during my coaching training this past January, a statement was made that, uh, that has stuck with me and reverberated in my mind nonstop. It transformed my thinking. And the statement went something like this. People may agree with your opinions. They may respect and like your opinions. But they will only act on their own opinion. Well, that could have saved me hours of counseling work if I had known that because I just thought everybody, you know, when I was a young man especially, I just thought everybody would thank God they could talk to me and that they would do whatever it was that I suggested uh, to, to improve things. Not so. Not so. Even if I successfully opened their thinking to see something in a, in a different way, it would make no difference as long as it was something somebody else had said. Until they owned it, it wasn't going to be transformative for them. And so here we are on Easter Sunday. If you're a follower of Jesus, over the next 15 minutes, you're just going to enjoy reveling in the life-changing truth that you have already embraced as your own. But if you're not a follower of Jesus, or maybe a disengaged follower of Jesus, then you've never really been gripped. You've never owned and been gripped by the reality of what God says about you, about Jesus Christ, and about the future. And I hope that in the next few minutes that God will do something that I cannot do. Open your heart. Open your heart, change your opinion, and invite you to know and love Him. I've been thinking of the word compelling. It's a wonderful adjective. The adjective uh, means evoking interest. Evoking uh, interest, attention, or admiration in a powerfully irresistible way. Evoking interest, attention, or admiration in an irresistible, powerful way. I want to give you, hopefully, a compelling vision. A vision of our problem, a vision of God's remedy, and a vision of the future. Now, here's our problem. Our problem is that on our own, we are enemies of God. It's not easy to hear, but it's the truth. We were created by Him and for Him to fulfill His purposes and to bring Him glory. And instead, we are only interested in our own purposes and our own glory. We, we've taken measure of our own goodness and have placed our hope in the notion that someday when we stand before God Almighty, that He will be impressed. That He will be impressed and that He would be honored to have you come into His eternal kingdom based on what a fine fellow or woman you have been in your life. But here's the problem. God measures everything, everyone, against His 
own perfections, His own goodness, His own holiness. And to measure up, you've got to match that. And our problem is that we're enemies of God. The catechism question this morning asks, what is sin? What is sin? Well, the answer says this, sin is rejecting or ignoring God. Rejecting or ignoring God. And I want you to listen carefully. Because the church has done a pretty poor job over the centuries of talking about what sin is. We've attached it to just particular behaviors. Oh, it's sinful if you do this. It's sinful if you do that. Sin's so much bigger than that. He says here, sin is rejecting or ignoring God in the world He created. Rebelling against Him by living, listen, by living without reference to Him. Not doing what he requires in his law. And it results in our death and the disintegration of all creation. Now, you may know a few of the Ten Commandments, and you could even point to a couple of them. You could say, see, Jeff, I'm not that bad. I'm pretty good. I haven't murdered anyone. I haven't committed adultery. Okay, good, good. Have you ever lied? It's just as serious to God. Who is truth. Do you know what the first commandment is of the Ten Commandments? It says this, you shall have no other gods, small g, you shall have no other gods before me. That's, that's called idolatry. It's idolatry and it exists in our hearts. Any time that we put anything or anyone first in our affections and our allegiance to Jesus Christ. That, my friends, is our problem. We're all in the same boat. We cannot measure up. We cannot be good enough. We are all idolaters. We are all, apart from Christ or outside of Christ, enemies of a holy God. And the Bible says that the outcome of our sin, of our rebellion, of our negligence, of our ignoring God, of putting Him aside, the penalty of that is simply this. It is death. And it is eternal separation from God after we die. And because God is the source of all life and joy and peace and purpose, and fulfillment, and love, to be separated from Him is to be without any of those things for eternity. And I can't think of a worst possible place to be. But God has a remedy, a compelling remedy. God sent His Son into the world to take on our human nature, to live a sinless life, and to die in our place as our substitute. And then to conquer death by being raised to life. He's a compelling Savior. If you know Him, He's a compelling person, a compelling Savior. Historians and critics can no longer deny the reality that a man named Jesus Christ lived and died. 
it would be intellectual dishonesty to do so. People still practice it, but it's intellectually dishonest given the evidence that we have. But what they will try to deny is the resurrection. They'll try to deny that Jesus was raised from the dead because the resurrection changes everything. It changes everything. It cannot be ignored. If it's real, you best pay attention to it. Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and there is more historical evidence for that fact than anything else in Roman history. Don't believe it? Look it up. There is more evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead than in any other fact of Roman history. Jesus rose from the dead. He appeared to His 12 disciples, then appeared to 500 more witnesses before ascending into heaven. Of those 12 disciples, 11 of them died violent deaths at the hands of those whom they could have gone free if they had simply said, we made it up. We made it up. We stole the body. He's not alive. We'll show you where the body is. But instead, they endured violent deaths, never recanting, not one, and many more besides them. It makes sense that a person would die for something that they believed, that they genuinely believed. But it makes no sense to die for something that you know is a lie. Who would do that? So, well, a crazy person might do that. Okay, I'll give you one. Twelve crazy people. Five hundred crazy people who saw the resurrected Christ and chose to die rather than deny the truth of the resurrection. There is more evidence for that than anything else. Jesus is alive. Everyone who turns away from their idolatry, away from their sinful negligence of God, who comes under the rule of King Jesus, can be forgiven, can have their hearts changed, can know genuine peace with God, clarity of purpose, and, 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 and joy in a real relationship with Him. Oh, my friends, don't make the mistake. Don't make the mistake of saying, oh, yeah, it's uh, me and God, we're all right. No, you're not. If all you know is that you and God are all right, and God's given you the thumbs up and just said, you know what, Jason, you, on, the, on the whole, pretty good guy. Don't worry. Heaven awaits you. I'm fortunate that you would come, right? No, no, no. No, no, no. The Bible says that there's no one righteous, not even Jason, no one righteous, not even one, not even one. And the only way, the only way to be made right is through surrendering to Jesus Christ, coming under His rule, coming under His reign, His way. Romans 5, 8 through 11, 
powerful Scripture says this, God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, He will certainly save us from God's condemnation or God's judgment. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of His Son while we were still His enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of His Son. And so now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. That's a compelling vision, my friends. It's a compelling vision of our problem and of God's remedy for our problem. Now let's talk about our future. I love thinking about the glorious adventure of eternal life ahead of us. You heard uh, John read from 1 Peter today, 1 Peter chapter uh, 1, verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance, a future that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, being kept for us. I think the church has been less than compelling when talking about eternal life. The idea of heaven seems like some mystical place in the clouds where we emerge as fluttering, harp-playing cherubs, content to sing Amazing Grace for a million years. That is not compelling. That is not compelling. That is so boring and so beneath the creative wonder that is our holy God. So beneath Him. That's not potent. That's not, that's not engaging. That's not powerful. That's not strong. Here, here's what the Bible tells us. It, it tells us that God will one day bring a final judgment. Sin will be destroyed, and all who have persisted in their idolatry and not surrendered to Jesus will be removed. You say, where will they be removed? The Bible calls that hell. You say, where is that? I don't know. But I've got my eye on that black hole they've been looking at out in space. And I'm only half facetious about saying that. The good news is this. God, listen, God is going to restore and renew this very planet. And all who belong to Jesus will populate it. And from this place, from, from this outpost, from this, from this kingdom establishment, from this place, God is going to extend His 
kingdom, the rule of King Jesus will extend in unimaginable ways throughout the galaxies. You know how big our galaxies are? That's why it's going to take eternity. Because the rule of King Jesus, the Bible says of the increase of His government, there will be no end. Continuing, growing rule of King Jesus throughout all the galaxies. And we get to be a part of it. We get to be a part of it. We will be engaged in it participating in it, and it will be solid and tangible and real and thrilling. It's compelling, this adventure of eternal life with Jesus Christ. Somebody say, come on. Somebody say, preach, preacher. Okay, I will. All right. <laughs> Earlier this week, Robin and, and Zibby and I went away for a few days, to, um, to mark the one-year anniversary of, of Bob's passing. And Tuesday night, sitting out by the by a campfire, as tears flowed, I read the following. It's in your bulletin today. Follow along, if you would, because I don't want you to miss a word of this. We're coming to a close. We are creatures of time and space. The resurrection and the new creation will not transcend our humanity. Rather, we will be set free from the bondage of our humanity to the conditions of sin and death. Wayne Grudem is exactly right when he argues, although a popular hymn speaks of the time when the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more. Scripture does not give support to that idea. Rather, all of our times will be gathered together in the fullness of God's Sabbath rest, everlasting joy. If there has been love on earth, it will be deepened and purified in glory. If pleasure, it will be fuller richer and enduring. If friendship, these bonds will be only stronger. We will not cease learning and growing, but will never reach that peak beyond maturity when we begin to slide down the other side of the hill. Every evening we've ever spent laughing with friends and loved ones around a sumptuous feast or warm fire will have been a mere foretaste of heavenly company. It is not another world, but this world that, like us, will be more truly itself than we've ever known it. The life everlasting is not even paradise restored as if we return to the innocence of Eden. Rather, it will be beyond paradise. The eschatological Sabbath that Adam never knew and that he forfeited by his disobedience. But good news that Jesus Christ has secured once again by his death, by his resurrection and his ongoing life. Hallelujah! That is our destiny. That is our future. That is compelling. 
We have a real problem. And God has given us a real solution. And we have a compelling message about the future that God invites us into. Each Sunday we come to the communion table. We come because this table reminds us of two important things. It reminds us that His body was broken and that His blood was spilled for our forgiveness. That He died in our place as our substitute. He lived the life I could not live. He died the death I dare not die. And He is raised again to invite me into His kingdom. And each Sunday we come here and we remind ourselves, and God reminds us, that He keeps covenant. He keeps His promise. I break mine every week. I'm a lawbreaker. I break God's law every day. I'm not as bad at it as I used to be, but I'm still a lawbreaker. I still covet. I still have idolatry in my heart often. I still... I still let anger get the best of me sometimes. It's all a host of things that every day remind me I need a Savior. And every Sunday I get to come to this table and I get to take this little bit of bread and this little bit of, the, of juice and I put it in my mouth and I taste it and by faith I receive His commitment to renew today His covenant with me. The one He never breaks and constantly renews out of His grace with me. The second thing that it does for us is it reminds us. This little bit of bread and this little bit of juice reminds us every week that there is coming a feast day that will be unmatched, unimagined, impossible to conceive of. It will be such a day, and it will be the day when the beginning of all real time, the beginning when the shadows fade and true reality appears. That day is coming and we will feast in the presence of God. We will sit down and rejoice together and we will laugh together. We'll laugh and we'll, we'll rejoice and we'll, we'll, we'll sit at table while God begins to lay out for us. Okay, guys, here's what we're going to do next. Here's where we're going. We'll be so excited. This is just a little reminder of that. Now listen. In a moment, we're going to invite people to come forward to this table. If you don't want to come to the table, if you're a guest or, or, uh, or, if, or if you're a person who does not share our faith, please don't feel uh, pressured in any way. We have people every week who, who stay in their seats. It's absolutely fine. No one will think anything about it. Just kind of scoot your knees up a little bit when somebody goes past you to come down the aisle. But I do want to make an invitation to you. I want to invite you to dance, as it were, down this aisle and come to a person who will be standing over here and they will, they will say to you, the body of Christ broken for you, and, and then you can take that bread, you can dip it in the cup, and someone's going to say the blood of Christ shed for you. 
And here's what you get to do. You get to start a new life today. You get to put that in your mouth. There's, no, there's nothing magical about it. It's not that. It's the, it's the faith in your heart that's reaching beyond that. And you have the chance to say today, some of you, God, I'm coming back. I'm coming home. I'm tired of wandering. I've let you be put on the shelf. I've, I've, I've been negligent, and, and I want to come back. And God welcomes you. He welcomes you. But you also might be a person who needs to simply say this, God, I have a real problem. I, I've been your enemy. I've never surrendered my heart to you. I've never surrendered my life to you. And I, I am compelled by this Savior. And I'm compelled by this vision of your future. And I don't want to miss it. I want to know salvation. I want to know forgiveness. I want to be a part of your family. And as you take that bread and as you dip it into the cup, you just say simply to God this, I surrender God. I give you my life. I willingly come under the rule of King Jesus today. Make me your own. And then you can have your first foretaste of the feast that we're all waiting on.